All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Guys, it's like a bittersweet day today. Mm-hmm. This is our last Hathaway. It really hit me when I finished this book. Did it? That this is it for... I mean, we'll meet these characters again, I'm sure, right? Some of them? No. They don't show up in any other book? I mean, I, I'm i sure somebody will correct me, but I don't believe in the Ravenels. The Ravenels is a lot of the Wallflowers children, and the Wallflowers show up, but as far as I can remember, I don't think Hathaway's come back. Okay, well, now I'm sadder, because <laughs> I just assumed that we would see a few, because there's such a crossover between the Wallflower, at least, parents... Well, parents. I mean, they're the wallflowers, and then their kids are the Ravenels, right? But the... I mean, the Ravenels are a different family, but, like, the wallflower children are, like, intermarrying. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But so that's the thing. I thought that they would cross over, because they're all hanging out in the same place, or near the same place. Yeah. Well, in our Stony Cross Park experience, they'll be there, They'll be... They gotta be there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll fix this wrong. Well, now we have Ramsey House... Um, Sony Cross Park and Rivington. Rivington, yeah, yeah. So now, like, we've expanded. Too many animals. We can't have, we probably can't have a Rivington thing because we'd have to deal with a lot of wild animals. Yeah. Depending where we put it, they could be illegal. I don't want to go through all the (laughs) rigmarole of getting licenses for all these different varmints. Oh, you don't need a license for a hedgehog. In some places you do. I don't know. Well, I looked up also, because we talked about in the last episode, if you listened to the last episode. Of course you listened to the last episode. But if you didn't, welcome. Hello. <laughs> All those animals we were mentioning yesterday, uh, yesterday, last episode, are illegal in New York. You cannot own any of those, any of those animals that we mentioned in New York. What did we mention? Lions, tigers, all that oh. stuff's illegal. Uh, hedgehogs are illegal. All, that, all those things are illegal. Oh, well, there you go. New York is very, very against wild animals being in households. Fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. New York? <laughs> there's too many roommates. You, there's too many, you're dealing with too many roommates. You, you, you move in and there's a llama in the living room. That's not fair. No, that's It's not stressful. fair to the roommate. It's not fair to the llama. Mm-mm. It's too much. It's like I have friends, multiple friends whose dogs are on Xanax. I'm like, New York City is just a very stressful place for a dog. I'm just waving my hand at that. I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. I can't. I can't. Well, out in the country of Hampshire, I think that they were, all the animals she had were like pretty standard. Except for there's a mention of her having an elephant for a second, which I totally believe. That is really funny. Yes, that is very true. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Alexandra Ivy, Intended Victim. New York Times bestselling author Alexandra Ivy proves her powers to terrify and titillate with a thrilling novel of pure romantic suspense about what happens when a vicious killer attempts to punish the one that got away. When lookalike corpses start piling up, one Chicago cop makes it his mission to protect that one, his former fiance, and he'll stop at nothing to put the madman behind bars for good. This book will appeal to fans of Lisa Jackson, Mary Burton, Alison Brennan, and anyone obsessed with true crime podcasts, which is everybody I know. <laughs> this book is for everyone that is in my social circle. It's a creepy, classic serial killer suspense with a hot hero in law enforcement and a feisty heroine aiming to stay out of the killer's clutches. Man, don't I love a woman who doesn't want to be killed? You can find Intended Victim by Alexandra Ivy wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. That's kensingtonbooks.com, K-E-N-S-I-N-G-T-O-N-B-O-O-K-S.com. Pick up a copy now. <laughs> so well, let's start. Let's jump in. We're already here. What did we read? We read Love in the Afternoon by Lisa Clay Pass, Hathaway number five, through Georgia cover. Don't don't like it. No. It's the same as the last book. Yeah. It just has a little card on the front. This at least has the letters, which is like they wrote letters to each other, so it's like a little bit more on theme, but I just wish that all the covers matched. Mm -hmm. And it's like three really beautiful covers, and then these two are like, huh? What? Well, we had a listener 
and I, I, and I can't remember who it was, but on Instagram mm-hmm. showed us a UK, I think, version of the last book we read, and it at least had like body parts on it. What a way to put it. <laughs> I mean, it was a picture of a woman. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it only showed, I believe, her arm or her... It wasn't, it wasn't a full body shot, but it was yeah. part of a body. I know. That even sounds worse. Just it sounds saying like, part of a body makes it Well, seem... they're not... It, it's not uh, a body that had, you know, it was... It, everything was connected. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Everything was connected. Yeah. Which I liked better than these kind of just I think if anyone out there right now is a romance writer and you are talking to your publisher about the new cover for your book and you, like, can't really capture it and you want Clayton to call, (laughs) let him do it. Just make sure everything's connected. (laughs) Just be like, I just want body parts connected. exactly. Just make sure that there's no body parts not connected. That's a service Clayton is willing to provide. Absolutely. (laughs) What's that called when you cut people's body parts off? I can't even think of the word right Vivisection? now. Vivisection? No, it's something e- easier than that. Okay. You dissect it or something. I don't know. So this is disgusting. Let's. Uh, so we don't like the cover. We don't like the cover now. When they reissue the Hathaways for the inevitable uh, Amazon or Netflix series tie-in, I feel like there's going to be an upgrade. When we write the intros. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Um, we have so much planned for Lisa. She doesn't even know. But she knows nothing about it. I'm sure would be frightened if she heard it all at once. I'm sure. Nobody tell her. Um, so Clayton, before we get into it, what was this book about? So this book is about Beatrix, who is the last of the Hathaways. She is the youngest of the Hathaways. I think at this point she is 23. So she is in spinster territory at this point. So she is still kind of hanging out at Ramsey House, doesn't have a mate, even though she's been in the season a couple times. She doesn't have a mate. Well, she doesn't have a partner. <laughs> she she loves animals. Using mate is like the perfect... Oh, no, she would love yeah, that. She would love this. I'm trying to be nice to Beatrix. So she's hanging around Ramsey House. She's ha- she's done the season a few times, but and there's been guys interested in her. She just hasn't found somebody that really sparked. And she's talking to Prudence, who was one of her friends, who I don't even know how they're friends because they don't seem to have anything in common. And Prudence is a real jerk. <laughs> yeah. And she, and Prudence is was kind of corresponding with Christopher Phelan, who is a guy who was part of gentlemanly society. He was kind of a... I don't want to say a rogue or a rake, but he got around and he was very arrogant, I think was the the big thing. Pretty boy arrogant. Goes off to the war and really becomes a hero. And Prudence is kind of bored with him, doesn't want to write back to him. And so Beatrix, being a nice person, says, well, I'll write back to him and then, you know, just make sure he's doing okay. I don't want him to be bummed. They start writing letters back and forth and fall in love through these letters. And then he comes back thinking that Prudence wrote these letters. There's a miscommunication. Obviously, we have, we have Beatrix and Christopher end up together. So that's the happily ever after. But there's a lot of things that happen on the way to that. So that's what we'll talk about in this episode. <laughs> that's how the podcast works. Yes. Guys. Yeah. I really loved this book. Me too. And this was a book that I don't think I remembered how much I loved it. It it is so well done. And I really loved at the beginning that we get to read a lot of the letters and we fall in love with Christopher and Beatrix as they are also falling in love with each other because the letters are like so beautiful. And you can totally picture if you are a soldier in the trenches in Crimea, which was like a particularly awful place to be like a lot of disease it was rotten and um that getting these letters would really make you fall in love with somebody and i and i loved how how that was handled how she did that and then just i thought maybe of all of this whole series like these two are the two that are like the most perfectly matched like, I was really like, wow, they need each other in a really significant way and are changed by knowing each other. Absolutely. I 
had said previously I was dreading this book Mm -hmm. because of Beatrix and her, which I thought was juvenile kind of fixation with animals. But also, I mean, she's a little thief too. We forgot about that. She's a little thief. And she does do a little thievery in this, but I didn't mind it. And she also tells him. And she tells him, and it's for a reason. And I, I mean, to say stealing for a reason, but she steals his shave brush because she has become so enamored with him through the letters that the smell of him, she wanted to have that uh, close to her. And I, I actually really like that. Of course, I'm a, I'm a guy who likes in a book, someone getting shaved. This is the closest thing to a shaving that we got in this. So I like that intimacy of the smelling the shave brush. Also, the animal thing is part of this, but it also shows so much about her character more than it seemed to before because we really got to get into her mindset. Her having the saving the mule, her dealing with Albert, who we didn't mention yet, which is the dog that helped Chris, that Christopher took in during the war and became his brother in arms. When I love those letters, by the way, too, at the beginning. I love that. That was so awesome that we were reading these letters. And then when he does a sketch oh, of yeah. the dog, and it just says Albert underneath it. <laughs> but the funny thing about that was, I don't know how, were you reading this on Kindle? Yeah. Did, did the, did yeah, the, okay. Showed up. Because. It was great in this where you're, I'm reading the letters, turn on the page, turn on the page, and then it was bottom of the page, I'm reading this, and then I turn, and it's that sketch of Albert, and I laughed out loud just because <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> but I, that, I think, Lisa did it again. She always does this, where somebody who I thought, I'm not going to be able to read a whole book about this person, and all of a sudden, I, this, I think, was, like you said, my favorite couple. Yeah. There's there is a few things that bother me a little bit about Christopher, and it's no fault of his own in the sense that he is heavily traumatized from the war. There's a few times he grabs her by the neck that I'm not super into. Well, I don't think he's into it either. No, and that's the thing; it's not a sexual thing, but also it is. It's abuse, and he makes a he makes it known that he doesn't want to sleep next to her because he's afraid. He's afraid for what he's going to do unconsciously waking up. He's still having flashbacks. I like get that. That was the one thing about Christopher that maybe takes him down a notch from one of my favorite in this series Mm -hmm. just because of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's, it's not, it's a reaction. Mm -hmm. It's not a conscious abuse in the sense that he gets angry and, does it? He and gets frightened and does jokes. it. Yeah. yeah he doesn't realize what's going on. Yeah. What I think is interesting, too, if you think about when this book was written in 2010, like that was like the Iraq War. And I feel like that's the first time that people were really talking about PTSD as it relates to soldiers in a like cultural way, a larger cultural context. Like obviously PTSD has existed forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like since there's been traumatic experiences. Um I think the first animal that came up and breathed air went back in the water and was like, oh, sh- what the fuck just happened? <laughs> I can't even I can't even process this. <laughs> All right, Clayton, do you want to take a second to talk about Lola? I'd love to. So Lola is an innovative feminine care company. What does that mean? Menstruation. Of course. Yeah, that's what we're doing what over here. What else could it mean? Once a month, we're dropping an egg, and we got to take care of it. So Is that one? What? We don't have time to explain the whole thing to me, I don't think. <laughs> I'm going to get you some uh, visual aids. Great. <laughs> but uh, something that is uh, terrifying to think of is the FDA doesn't require companies to disclose what are in their feminine care products which is scary. But Lola does. So Lola's um, products, tampons and pads, are all 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. That's great. Because that's you're also you're putting stuff inside you. Mm-hmm. Or right up next to inside you. Yes. You want to make... <laughs> right up next to inside. <laughs> is just, that on the directions? Yeah, you're just putting things out on your front door. And you know... You want to make sure anything that's touching that you want to make sure it's nice and you want to make sure it's not like asbestos, which is what some 
companies have in their oh thing. Oh my gosh. It's so insane. The other thing that Lola does that's fantastic is that it lets you mix and match your monthly box. So, you know, some people are heavy for four days and my heart goes out to them. Some people are have one heavy day, three light days. So you know your own experience, you know your own body, you know your own flow. So you are able to fully customize each box. So when it comes to the door each month, you have it, you have everything that you need, and it's perfect for you. It's a la carte. A la carte. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing, too, about Lola that's great is that they donate feminine care products to homeless shelters across the USA for every purchase. Yeah. And feminine care products are some of the most requested things for yeah. homeless shelters. So. It's really important. So you're giving back. You can buy from anywhere, but why not buy from a company that gives back? You got to. Yeah. So for 30% off your first month subscription, visit mylola.com. That's M-Y-L-O-L-A dot com and enter tropes when you subscribe. That's tropes, T-R-O-P-E-S, tropes, T-R-O-P-E-S, when you subscribe and you'll get 30% off. Awesome. What are you waiting for? Have a happy period, everybody. Oh, they should use that. Yeah. Well, they kind of are using that because we're doing ads for them. Yeah. So it's theirs. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) But I I thought that was like an interesting for her to do to have this soldier uh, experience PTSD. And then what I really loved about it, too, was um, that nobody was like, this will go away. Or it wasn't cured by her love or anything. Like, he was able to process things a little bit better, and he worked at that. But ultimately, she acknowledged, like, this is something that's going to be with you forever. Like, you had a traumatic experience that changed you, and that doesn't go away. Um, Which I really appreciated, too. It wasn't sort of being cured, because I don't know that PTSD is something that can be cured, necessarily. I think it's something you can certainly... Um, like manage and live with and obviously like have a full happy life with but it isn't there's no like cure-all it's a long process Um, and then about Albert I loved Albert I mean obviously I love uh, kids and animals but I don't always love them in books because I feel like they can be like a little silly superfluous but Albert was so intrinsic in their relationship and helped them really grow towards each other and fall in love in a real way. The reason that she writes him back originally is because he mentions Albert and she's like, what a dog. Mm -hmm. And then now you got me. I know gives him pointers of like how to help the dog and it does help him. And then sort of he, the only relationship that Christopher really feels safe in for a long time is just the relationship with Albert. Um, But Albert's like a reflection of him. They have very similar ways of reacting to Mm -hmm. things in her the Beatrix's ability to deal with Albert transferred to her ability to deal with Christopher in a way yeah and and the other thing about this that I liked is that all the other heroes in these previous books have been victims of childhood trauma right when you think of I mean not the Hathaways necessarily but when you think of um uh, Maripin, when you a uh, Kev, when you think of Harry. Uh, yeah Harry, when you think of Catherine, they've all dealt with stuff that happened to them as children. This is a man who has dealt with something like war, which is completely different. It isn't. It wasn't neglect. It wasn't abuse. It was the world. This is a reality that happens, and this is something that he didn't realize was a possibility, but then he had to live with. It was a, to say this is refreshing sounds gross, Mm -hmm. but it is a bit refreshing that it wasn't, oh, he was locked in a, in a footlocker and, you know, or, you know, someone tried to drown him when he was a child. He grew up in luxury. He went to the war and he basically went to the war because he wanted to have the glory and boss people around. That's why he could be in charge because he was rich. That's how it worked back then. Uh, but he really... I mean, and now a little and, bit. And now it does too. But he really grew to be a leader and a, a man who can lead men. And I really like that about this book. And yeah, Albert as well. I am not a fan of animals in books, as I've said in the previous books. But Albert was a character. 
he was a character that moved their relationship uh, forward. And he also, I liked his arc too. <laughs> he got a collar from the queen. I know, and he was named after the Prince Regent. Yeah, that's so or not cool. The, the Regent, whatever, Prince Albert. Yeah. But I but I love that. Yeah. Isn't a Prince Albert a a a, a, a cock uh isn't that when you when you get your penis pierced? That's, yeah. That's a Prince Albert, right? Yeah. Okay. The Victorians were disgusting. Why is that called a Prince Albert? Did, I don't know, because they think they said that he had it. Oh. I don't know if it's true. If you've ever been deep into Tumblr and then stumbled upon Victorian porn Tumblr, it's wild. I've never done that. I don't even think you can anymore. Tumblr. Oh, does it not exist? I don't. Well, Tumblr exists, but I think they got rid of all the adult stuff, which which effectively killed Tumblr. I know, because what are we doing? <laughs> but I. I don't want to. What am I going to tumble upon other than porn? <laughs> Victorian porn. There's nothing else to tumble upon. I feel like I was looking up like. You know, what I like to do whenever a book is like, this book is set in 1832 or something, is like I Google that. to see. You like, look oh, for the porn that is no. appropriate to that But I'm like, what age. are the dresses? Like, what are people looking like for my in my head? And I was just like, there was one that was like Victorians of Tumblr. So I was like, this is cool. And then all of a sudden it was like a nude people and like just insane Did you see a Prince Albert? I don't remember seeing specifically a Prince Albert. It is funny. They invented photography and then immediately were like naked people. Well, of course. What People else is fucking. it for? Yes. Every every innovation has been pushed forward by pornography and 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 people in the nude. Yeah. VHSs were popular because that's a good way to have porn, <laughs> to own porn, and the internet blew up because of porn. Mm. The next thing when people are like transporting images to each other's minds telepathically with whatever cybernetic thing that that someone's going to insert in your head, it's going to be all pictures of naked people. That's the first thought that's going to go from one person's head to another person's head. Because when they invented the telephone, this isn't – people don't know this to be true, but the first thing that they talked about was naked women. No, they were describing boobs to each other, <laughs> but that's not good for history. So they changed it to like, "Hey, what's up?" Whatever they said. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? It wasn't what's up. Do you it know was... what Alexander Graham Bell wanted you to say when you answered the phone? Oh yeah, what was it? It was something very funny. What was it? Do you want me to tell you? Yes. Ahoy. Ahoy. Uh, well, I mean, it's and the it, first it has thing that was said over the phone was something like "Get in here, Captain" or something like that. Like he said it through the phone but he meant to like call to somebody else in the room i think so he fucked up the first time he yeah. talked into the phone it wasn't you know one step for mankind but yeah yeah well it also makes me laugh whenever people are like oh everyone was so prim and proper back then and i'm like no hun they definitely knew about like orgies and oral sex and just weird spanking shit well we were talking about the last book if everybody's been listening to all the episodes leo was Invited into a club that he turned down the invitation, but it was it was probably like a Caligula esque just like fornication, yeah. yeah, fest. I'm sure. Mm. I'm sure Leo got down to some dirty shit we don't even want to think about. I know, and I'm, I'm still shocked that he knew about this weird sex death cult, and like it didn't occur to him to like tell the authorities until he was like, "Oh, I can blackmail someone." <laughs> <laughs> the Hathaways are very. As we mentioned before, oblivious. They are really fun because, yeah, the things that they care about are really funny. And the things that they just are like, don't care. Like, at one point, Christopher comes over to the house and he's like, I don't want to make conversation with your family. So Beatrix is like, yeah, it's fine. And brings him into the dining room. It's like, hey, guys, this is uh, this is Captain Phelan. He doesn't want to talk to any of you. So, like, don't ask him any questions. But, like, I guess engage with him if he talks to you first. And they're all like, okay, cool. Just make sure that you pretend that we're interesting. Yeah, exactly. And they, they no further questions. I mean, they do end up talking, but I think that acceptance of him wanting quiet or not quiet, but not wanting to be talked to opens him up. Right. Because he felt the acceptance. And that's the thing about the Hathaways that are great is that they accept sometimes with reservation, obviously, but they the only reservations they ever have is if it's they feel like it's going to be behavior that will hurt one of their own. 
Right. As opposed to, you are this, therefore, we won't have you at our table. There's none of that. No. Everybody is is allowed in there no matter what, uh, which I just love. That's what I love about this this family. Yeah, and they accept people for who they are and where they are in that moment. I mean, the only person they had a really hard time with was Harry. Because he stinks. <laughs> but Beatrix liked him from the get. Yeah. Beatrix, she names everybody as being an animal. She knew he was an animal, yeah. What animal would you be? Uh, a lion. You think you're a lion? Leo. You're like Leo, you're a lion? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What, what, you don't think so? I don't know. I feel like lions are very, like, loud and preening, and I wouldn't consider you either of those things. Okay. I don't know what animal you would be, though. Don't say ferret. <laughs> well, Beatrix is a ferret. You know, Lisa does a great thing, which is sideline Dodger. Dodger makes a quick appearance and quickly is forgotten because I said if Dodger was one of the main characters in this book, I would throw this book across the room and not finish it. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that Dodger only made a brief appearance. Medusa also only a brief appearance. I think the focus was mostly on Albert and also on the mule. What was the mule's name? Ed- Hector. Hector, which was the name of the mule that Christopher owned when he was young. And that's how he found out that Beatrix wrote those letters and not Prudence. Didn't it take him? I felt like it took Christopher it took him a forever. very long time to put like <laughs> some very obvious things together. Because he was like, when because Beatrix ends up accidentally sending him a letter saying, I'm not who you think I am. Come, Come home me. and find me. He comes home and he's not like, he's like, thinks that Prudence is hiding part of herself. And then he realizes Prudence didn't write the letters. And so he goes to his sister-in-law, Audrey, and is like, who wrote the letters? And I'm like, Chris, hun, she only has one friend. Yes. Who do you think it could be? Nobody else can stand her. But I do think... Who is also mentioned in the letters. <laughs> yes. Like, it's Beatrix, you dumb dumb. And, and like, is obsessed with animals, yeah. which is what a lot of the letters were about, and was like, helping in Albert. The woods. Yeah. He met her walking in the woods and was just like... I don't know who it could be. She has mint tea with honey. And he's like, oh, so did that woman who wrote those letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to go back to th- trying to find her. I do. Th- <laughs> and then he was attracted to her and didn't put two and two together or even in his head think, I hope this is Beatrix. Yeah, that was that It was, was finally the mule that set it off for him. And I was like, thank Christ. I know. How long could we have this go on for? Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, but I but I still uh, I still gave it a pass because I did like th- I liked the them getting to really know each other before the romance took over, where he was he knew those letters back and forth because he read them over and over again, so he knew this person. But then he also got to meet the side of Beatrix that she was maybe afraid would alienate somebody and he grew to love that side so he grew to love both sides at the same time but not knowing that he knew both yeah um and prudence is so awful yeah prudence- she kept telling beatrix that like if he finds out his you he'll be so disappointed and he'll never be with you because you're like ugly and your family's crazy which is like by all accounts like her family is like unconventional but like beatrix is hot well, and like the people react to her as her being a very beautiful girl oh absolutely there's when they have the when they have the party at ramsey house there's guys just clamoring to be with her yeah and it's said a bunch of times, like, she has a lot of interest from men, but it's just that her family is, like, wild that, like, they aren't able to offer for her, which is, like, yeah, so she's attractive. But I think when your close friends suggest something like that, you're like, oh, she's telling me the truth in a way no one else will. I think the fact that Beatrix was friends with Prudence shows that her liking Harry means that she just doesn't have great <laughs> taste in people. I think she gives people the benefit of the doubt, which is great for Christopher because I don't think other people would put up with his what's happening to him because Prudence, as much as she now wanted to be with him after he was a war hero, would not be able to deal with the kind of heavy stuff that he was dealing with. Yeah. She just didn't have it in her. She's not a she's not a person of substance. Yeah. And and it would it'd been nice to have give Prudence some sort of humanity 
because she was a comically bad person. But again, she's not even that important in the scheme of things. She's just kind of a an obstacle more than anything. Yeah, and some people are just awful. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot of the people, especially a lot of the people's relatives who are in this in this series, because even Christopher's mom, his brother dies, and he dies before he gets home from the war. So Christopher uh, is not able to say goodbye to him. And the mom does not love Christopher. She only loved the brother. And even uh, Audrey, who was Christopher's sister-in-law, who was married to... And she was friends with Beatrix too, right? They were good. Like, that's basically... Yeah, they were good friends. So uh, she even says... The mom has no love for Christopher. She only had love for one son. She only had. A, some people have an endless well of love, and some people have very limited. And her love was John, right, the son, and that's it, which is devastating. There's a lot of bad parents and relatives in these books. But it's funny because Christopher is also able to just sort of roll with that and respects his mother in a way where he, he understands that she suffered such a great loss and he allows her to sort of like grieve in the way that she's going to grieve, which I found really powerful. And I think it could have been annoying for him to be like, my own mother doesn't love me and she loved John more. And he never really dwells in that. He sort of is able to set her up where she's going to be most happy and provide for her in the way that she allows him to provide for her and kind of just leaves it at that. Which shows, I think, a level of, like, love and respect, you know, Mm -hmm. from Christopher. And I think Beatrix, too, it's like she needed to be – Christopher needed somebody to be really calm with him. And I think the thing with Beatrix that we learn a little bit more about her, like, how she felt about her parents' death and how she framed it in her mind as an abandonment. Which, you know, she was so young when they they died, that makes a lot of sense, that she – you know, is more of a quiet observer and doesn't want to get close to people. So, you know, there is a way that her obsession with animals and keeping of all these animals keeps people at arm's length in a way that I think she's like more comfortable with. So then that she was able to also like slowly adapt to Christopher as Christopher was adapting to her is really helpful for their relationship. And it is able to build like much more slowly. I think Beatrix couldn't have had wild, passionate love at first sight. No. It would have been too much for her. I don't think she could have handled it. Uh, so speaking of love and – well, speaking of passionate love, so there is a secret place in this. Are you well, dying? I loved it <laughs> because it is a house that is on – Westcliffs. Westcliffs, yeah, it, it, on Westcliffs property. And what did it used to be? It used to be something else, but it's it's not it's not used anymore. I think it was from like medieval times, and it was for like if the main house was attacked, they would go and they would stay like hide there basically. But Lillian, like uh, Beatrix, had come to Lillian to say like, "Hey, I found this thing," and Lillian was like, "Yeah, go for it. Use it as much." as Yeah, because she would ramble around, and she eventually found this place, and mm-hmm. she said, "Yeah, you can hang out there." So that became her hidden place, and she. That is where they end up together because she had mentioned it in one of the letters. And I love that because one of the great things about uh, secret or hidden places for me is that when you find that person that you love, you share that place with them. That's what makes it so great is that it can be yours, but then it can be yours and somebody else's. And that's what I really loved about that. And – so when they're first going to have sex, or at least she thinks they're going to have sex, she turns around and gets on her stomach and puts her butt in the air because she doesn't know how – she only knows sex through how squirrels have sex or how other animals have sex, which ha- brings me to something about the Hathaways is that they are very well read. They talk about politics and everything under the sun, new inventions, all this stuff. There is no sex education in the Hathaway household. Ramsey House needs to have some sort of part of the library that is sex ed based. Because I don't think – I think a lot of them didn't have any kind of understanding of what sex entailed other than Leo. None of them did. I think that was also like 
pretty period appropriate. I think that that wasn't really discussed until it was like your wedding night. Although mm-hmm. nobody went to their wedding virgins. All of the couples had had sex before. <laughs> That's so, true, yeah. Or not uh, half, and not um, uh, Harry and Poppy, but everyone else, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what did you think about the sex in this book? I thought it was great. Yeah. Very good sex. He wouldn't sleep in the same bed with her because he was afraid he would get hurt. But what I loved about it, too, was like Beatrix's um, had no shame around sex and was very outwardly desirous of Christopher and also was the one that initiated this first sex scene, which I really loved. She wanted it as much as he did and then afterwards wasn't like or no they did say they wanted to get married but i think that that wasn't necessarily because they had had sex but more that like they've already said that they loved each other so she was kind of like let's get married we can do this all the time um and i really loved that about the book like the way that beatrix's approach uh, approach to sex i thought was really fantastic and then in general the sex scenes i thought were really hot yeah so at the end we have like a lot of these books because when i was reading through it <laughs> I thought, wow, this might be one where it's just they end up together after this long kind of struggle with him not knowing who it was, him knowing who it was, and then him having to deal with his demons uh, in the sense of being able to sleep next to her. I thought, wow, this would be it. This is all this book needs. (laughs) But then what we have is we have... Fenwick, who was a guy that is another rich guy who went to the war with him, ends up getting wounded. Christopher saves him instead of saving his friend Bennett, who are they're both injured at the same time, but he sees Bennett and Bennett looks almost dead in his mind. So he says, you know what, I'm going to save Fenwick because Fenwick is a captain, I think, as well. And he would have, if he gets captured alive, he would give up intelligence. We can't have that. I need to save him. Bennett's just going to die. So Fenwick gets saved. And then Bennett is, he goes back for, because he leaves Albert next to Bennett to protect him so that he can come back. Because he was going to come back after he took Fenwick. And when he comes back, poor Albert has been stabbed and uh, with a bayonet and Bennett's gone. So he's upset about this. He He's lived with this for a long time, assuming Bennett was killed or tortured or something, but he's dead. Fenwick has, has come back. This is later in the book and has a conversation with Christopher saying, hey, Bennett's not dead and he's coming to kill you. I was like, oh, okay, geez. This is like 20 pages left in this book. So Bennett does show up shoots Christopher off of a horse because he's afraid that, that of course, Bennett's going to come for Beatrix, the one thing he loves, gets shot off the horse. And then in about 10 pages, Bennett is saved, rehabilitated, and dating Audrey, kind of dating Audrey. That's the epilogue, but But yeah. But still, it's like that was a little bit too much at the end of this book and not needed for, for me. I, I kind of just went through this and was like, okay, 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 okay. Instead of being very excited by this action, I just didn't need it. Yeah. Here's what I think. <laughs> so uh, the, getting shot off the horse and I was worried someone was going to get kidnapped and Beatrix was going to get kidnapped because I didn't remember how it ended. And what I – it turns out that Bennett had been tortured and was also suffering from PTSD and was in a really, really bad way. Um, and I think – uh, so Christopher and Beatrix's, what they did was bring him into the home and protect him and take care of him and get everyone in the household to like give him food and sort of like help to rehabilitate him. And I think through Christopher watching that happen to Bennett, realized that that was also him and that, it, that Bennett to have the faith that Bennett would get better and be able to express that to him meant that he also knew that he himself could get better. So it's after they take in Bennett and are taking care of him, they have like an evening together and they have sex and they have like a very sweet like couple time. And then that's the first night that Christopher is able to sleep next to Beatrix. Cause he, I think doesn't really believe he can be better until he 
comes in contact with Bennett. Did Bennett need to shoot him off of a horse and then have it just sort of like graze his forehead? Like, I don't know. Could have just shown up at the house. I don't know. Whatever. Threatened him with a gun. Threatened him with a gun or threatened to kill himself or something. But I do think that something needed to change or there needed to be a bigger thing for him to then decide to start sleeping next to Beatrix. And I think that that made sense. And also that the death the death of Bennett or you know what he thought was his death was something that weighed so heavily on him so him being able to rehabilitate him and take care of him was a bit, him being able to close that loop as well and so then when he did accept the award from the queen uh he was more okay with it he didn't feel like he was accepting it and his best friend had died like he was able to sort of I I, it made sense to me and I did like it and I don't normally like these like last 10 percent kidnappings yes that seem to happen in every Hathaway Mm -hmm. of I mean of all the endings Mm -hmm. it was the my the best I think of not all of the books but at least the last couple that we'd read but I still kind of just wanted a a more relationship piece and I didn't need the action adventure ending. Yeah. As much as you know, and it was it was not a lot of action. It was just him shooting, but it was you know, the like you said, I was like, Oh, was she gonna be kidnapped? How how long can this kidnap it's gonna be like ten pages or five pages because this book's almost over. Yeah. So that's I think the thing too that I always see at the end of this that this doesn't really matter all that much. This one I can see though from what you explained, it actually does matter more than I was given credit for. Yeah. Cause here's the important question. Would you fuck them? Yes. I would fuck both of them. Oh, 100%. I think this is a slam dunk. Yeah. They both seem really attractive. They both seem really good at sex. Like, yeah. Now, he's pretty heavily scarred. Into from, it. From Into it. I am, too. I, I don't, don't I think that's rugged. Yeah. It's handsome. He's lived a life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with scars. I'm down with scars. So, I'd fuck them both. Uh, although... Beatrix, it would have to be in a room that did not have animals in it. I don't oh, yeah, the want first time they have sex is in front of Albert, which is gross. Which is gross. And then also they kind of uh, fiddle around in front of Hector. I'm not as worried about the mules. What do you think a mule can't? I think a dog actively pays attention to people. And, like, horses and mules and stuff, they're just kind of, like, hanging. It was weird when... They also can't see right in front of them, so you're fine. <laughs> Maybe you're in the blind spot. It is weird when, in the book... Lisa wrote that Albert pulls up his sunglasses and says, oh, yeah. (laughs) That was weird. Yeah, that was very 2010 of her. Because she doesn't usually do like anachronistic kind of stuff. But I think she was like, I got to have this dog have sunglasses on. (laughs) But otherwise, otherwise, yeah, I think I would both of them. Yeah, 100%. 100%, without a doubt. Nice. Should we, do we want to do a recap of the Hathaways or do Goodreads list? Well, okay. So let's. What is your in order of the books, or not in order of the books? You don't have to do it in order. What was your favorite of this series? What was your favorite Hathaway book that we read? If you can say, I mean, I mean, I think it is still Seduce Me at Sunrise. Okay. I think if I had to rank if I had to rank them, it would be Seduce Me at Sunrise, Love in the Afternoon, Mind Till Midnight, um, Tempt Me at Twilight, and then the end would be Married by Morning. Okay. So I cannot remember which one is which by title. <laughs> but I can give you I numbers. I want to be real straight with you. <laughs> I can give you numbers. We could or heroes and heroines. Yeah. So well book I like, I would say, mm, this is hard though. Cause, okay. I would say book one, cause it's Cam. Mind till midnight. Mind till midnight. Then book two, cause it's Kev. Seduce me at sunrise. And then I would say this one, mm-hmm. Love in the Afternoon, which is book five. And then I would say book four, which is Leo and Catherine's book. And then I would say, way, 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 way far behind is three. <laughs> Tempt me at which Twilight is, is... Which is Poppy yeah. and Harry. If you don't want to read all these books, I would say you could skip three. You could absolutely skip three and, and really not miss much of a beat in my estimation. Yeah. 
And Poppy and Harry never really show up that much later on. Because Lisa knows nobody cares about them. Do you want to rank, now that you have read five more Lisa heroes, who are your top three? Oh, top three. Okay, so Derek Craven, of course. Derek Craven is <laughs> number one. I'd still so it's s- almost number two and three is all we, yeah. I mean, I'd still say Cam is number two. Mm-hmm. And But I would say... Honestly, I like Christopher a lot. Mm-hmm. And I would say right now Christopher is three. And the only reason I wouldn't say Kev is like Kev is so, so intense. And I liked his book a lot, but he's just so, so intense. So I do think Christopher is my th- number three right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So no Wallflower heroes make it in there. No, you know, no, not no. Weirdly, although I'd like them all. Yeah. I think the only one that could, probably my number four then is Westcliff. Mm-hmm. Only because, like, I think I said this on a previous episode, I love how he, he like the Hathaways, is down for whatever. He will allow a lot of things in his house that a lot of other people wouldn't allow. But he also protects people around him. Mm-hmm. And he's not... When you look at him, and they even say this, he's not necessarily handsome. He's not the best-looking one, but he is definitely powerful and has a presence, and I admire that about him. Mm-hmm. So that would be my top four, but we were going top three. Yeah. What is your top three? Has it changed at all? Probably not, because you've already read, th- read these books. Yeah. If we're doing just the books we've read, or are we doing all of Claypets? Well, so out of the books that you've read, who's your favorite? Because I would say I would say Cam still has to be my favorite, but Christopher being next. Out no, because I've read books that we haven't read for the podcast. So are yes. we counting them? Or no, just books we've read for the podcast? I'd say just that we've read for the podcast so far. Okay, because honorable mention will go to Zachary Bronson, because he is amazing. That's what you've said that previously. He's yeah, not in but these books. I can't have him in my top three, so he's out. Uh, Craven. Number one, of course. And I think Marcus might be my number two. Cool. I really like Marcus a lot. And then Kev. You like Kev. I think I just like a tortured hero. He's so tortured. He's so tortured. It is a little bit over the top, but I do love it so much. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I have Marcus in there between Craven and Kev to sort of like calm the other two down a little bit because I think they're both like I feel like Kev is just like Craven cranked up to eleven. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, what about heroines? That's so much harder. Oh, uh, like out of the Hathaways? Well, the heroines of all the Clay Pass ones we've read. Oh, I mean, Lillian. I love. And I think, gosh, out of these ones, I think probably Amelia, honestly, out of out of the ones that we've read. And then, yeah, I guess those would be my two favorites, you know? I just, I think Lillian, I like the most. I think I'm the same. I think I'm Sarah from... Um Dreaming of You. Yes, Sarah as well. Uh, Lillian and Amelia are my favorites. Yeah. We love a dark-haired heroine. Yeah, just there's some of the – Lillian, I think, is by far my favorite. Oh, yeah, Lillian's the best. Yeah. I think Sarah might be my favorite, but I think all three of them could switch out as my favorite. Yes. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I really love them all. Yeah, Sarah's great because she's a writer, and she was so proactive, and, I mean, she was the – you know, she – is with Derek, so she's doing something right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would say those are then my top three. Then I would probably say Lillian, then Sarah, then Amelia. Yeah, but I love Amelia too because she keeps everything together. She does, but then her and Cam when they're together, it's so special. Yes. Yeah, and I feel like Amelia would just be like, you know those people that you're like in their presence and then you can just like relax? Yes. Like Amelia, you would meet up with her no matter how troubled you were and you would just be like, it would be like taking a deep breath and she'd be like, um, we'll figure it out. Especially now that she has help. Yeah. I do think she still is the glue in this family in the Hathaways, but she has Kev. She has Leo now who's rehabilitated. Yeah, and Cam. She has Cam. I mean, she has people around her that 
can take care of things if she needs it. So she's able to do everything she needs to do. Yeah. And have that like safety net, which she didn't have before. No. Now she has two sons. She's going to be such a great mom. Yes. Uh, good reasons. Let's do it. Favorite historical romance novels. Yes. Best historical romances where the quiet, unusual girl gets the guy. She is, I would say, unusual. But yeah. is she, yeah, she's quiet too. She's quieter than some of the other Hathaways. So yes. I've loved you for years. No. Yes. She's loved him for a long time. For years? How long was he in the army? Well, there's like 11 months where he just doesn't speak to her. Like there's 11 months of like just no contact. Oh, I guess. Yeah, okay. So I just. At least a year. Okay. Um, well, has it been a year or has it been less than a year? Let's really get down to this. I think she's loved him for a long time is what love you Loved you for a long time is not love you for years. So take it <laughs> off the list. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do it. Uh, best humorous historical romances. Yes. It was funny. It was a funny. lot of funny turn of phrases. A uh, hundred historical romances to read before you die. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes. If we're I, doing a top hundred, this is in the top hundred. I could 100. see a top hundred, yeah. There's just so many. But, like, if you put all of Lisa's in here, I wouldn't complain. Yeah. Um, so you love a bad boy or tortured hero? Definitely tortured. Love hate relationships? He, At the beginning. Yes. Well, he never really hates her because he did say that she belongs in a stable or would be happier in a stable, but he didn't really mean it. Did he really actually mean it in a shitty way? Cause it goes back and forth between him claiming that he didn't mean it in a shitty way, but then Audrey being like, you meant it in a shitty way. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's like a pretty tame thing. Like also she would be happier on the staples, but she also, I think had issues with that, that kind of, if her friend said that to her, she would say, okay, that's, I, you got me. If a stranger, especially like a male who was attractive said that, it might hit a different way because you're not friends with this person. This person's just saying something that illuminates a side of you that you maybe not so comfortable with. So. Um, letter writing couples. Yes. I loved that. That's, that's a, that's a trope I love. Yes. Um, the old favorite, the best of Lisa Claypass number two. Number, there, not, nothing's <laughs> on one. None of the Hathaways were on one. I don't know. Nothing's been on one so far. It's insane. Does one even exist? I don't know. <sighs> what a mystery. But that could only be solved by me actually looking, <laughs> which will never happen. Nerdgasms. Ugh. Next. <laughs> Pass. Romance novel heroes with PTSD. Yes. Love letters, romance novels featuring written communication. Yes. A changed man, historical hero who has changed after war in mind, body, or spirit. Yes. I love your quirks. Best romance. Yeah. Herons that are a bit odd in a good way. Yeah. Hot, steamy, sensual historical romance books. This mm-hmm. is very steamy. Oh, yeah. Intense and angsty romance. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of intense stuff that happens in that. Oh, this is a heavy book. But this, more than Married by Morning, more than Leon Catherine's book, like, the tone felt consistent and appropriate in a way that, like, Married by Morning, it was just, like, wild. We were everywhere. So, yeah. No Dodger. That's the thing. You had a you didn't have Dodger running around stealing stuff and being a cartoon, Looney Tune. You had Albert, who was a dog dealing with PTSD. <laughs> who was respectful. Yeah. yeah. Um, all, historical romance hero is the ultimate alpha male. I don't think so. No, because I think he really needed... uh, No, he was more of a... If he was anything before he went to war, he was maybe an alpha hole. But now I don't think he's an alpha at all. No, I I think he's been humbled. Yeah. Bad Boys Meet the Virgins. Yes. Romance with tomboy slash women in pants heroines. Yes, she is in pants several times because she's taking care of some animals. And you know what? Hot. Into it. 100%. 100%. And, you know, it's weird because most of the time uh, in regular life, women are in pants <laughs> and it's like women are just in pants. But there's something about usually being in a dress, but being in uh, especially like men's clothing or pants and like a button up shirt or something in these kind of books makes me nuts. <laughs> I love it. 
I didn't care. She was covered in slop and mud (laughs) and shit. I was like, give me them pants. Uh, Best books involving forbidden love. I wouldn't say this is forbidden. No. No. Um, Take it off the list. The best of Lisa Claypass. Yes. (laughs) But this is a completely different list than the other one. Yeah, I guess. Favorite romances with pets? You know what? Yes. Yes. This was a, this was, this pet was necessary to the plot. Albert, you take Albert out of this book, it's a different book. It is. Bookworms of historical romance. She loves them books. Yeah. I think the Hathaways in general loved books, right? Yeah. They were a very literate family. Literary even. Yeah. 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 Literate, I think just means they can read. They can read. Yeah. I mean, but there was a lot of people I probably couldn't read back then. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, Scars are sexy. Books with imperfect, disfigured, disabled heroes. Yes. Books with witty banter. Dialogue. Always. It's Lisa. Yeah. Come on. Come on. You're going to laugh. You're going to see a good turn of phrase. Yeah. You're going to fall in love. Um. That's, I mean, that's not all the lists. There was eight pages of lists, but those are the ones I picked out because, you know, we got to go home someday. Exactly. Now, for your knowledge of this series, is this one of the more popular ones? I would say Mind Till Midnight is the most popular or Introduce Me at Sunrise. So Christopher's kind of not a well-loved hero. I don't hear much about him. Although when we, when I did do that Instagram thing, there were quite a few Captain Feelings. So Great. Yeah. That's good to know. He's out there. Got to get to the end of the Hathaways. You got to read Captain Feelin. Yep. Clayton, what are your tropes? War hero. Animal obsessed heroine. Scarred hero. We went through a lot of these with the Goodreads list. PTSD suffering hero. PTSD suffering dog. (laughs) You made a sad face there. It is sad. I don't want dogs to be upset. Yeah. Um, Metal wearing dog. Even though it's a collar, but it's a, it's got a silver clasp, so yeah. it's a metal. Um, uh, bad. I mean, is it bad family? Like his family is kind of bad. I don't. I like his mom, but she, I don't know. It's also like I don't. They talk about how they, she's lost four children before, and so John is the fifth child who's died. I'm like willing to forgive her a lot. Like that yeah. is really. I don't know how. I don't know what that would do to a person. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Letter writing romance. Secret places, (laughs) which I love. That's it. Uh, No, that's it. Okay. (laughs) That's it. What are your, Aaron, what are your tropes? Um, Epistolatory romance. What does that mean? Uh, uh, Writing letters. Oh, Okay. Uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, because this is sort of like that a little yeah. bit. Hero, heroine fucking loves animals. Yes. Heroine thinks the hero hates her. True. Military hero, hero with PTSD, blonde hero. I don't feel like we have a lot of blonde heroes. No. Animals and romance, good dog. Can't trust myself to sleep with you. Heroin heals hero, heroin seduces hero, secret places. Yeah, secret places. That was great, secret place. Yeah. All right, Clayton. What are you swooning about this week? Well, so I'm swooning about something that probably does not need any more kind of, um, doesn't need another person saying that it's good. But I will say that I just recently watched the first season of Succession. Oh. You know, you're big into succession. So good. And I didn't initially want to watch it because I'm not a big fan of rich people misbehaving. I feel like that as much as you can separate fiction from reality, there is something about people being so upset about how rich people run our life, but then also indulging in their kind of misadventures and enjoying it. It feels a little gross to me. But the good thing about Succession is I don't think as much as you kind of root for people in it, you also understand that they are truly and thoroughly forever fucked. Mm -hmm. Like no matter how rich they are or how whoever ends up in power, number one, one day it's all going to go away. Number two, they're all, they've all been thoroughly corrupted to a point where they are no longer human beings. 
So you do see kind of the cancer that power and money can be. And, but it's also really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm making it seem, but I do think they do walk a nice tightrope that I hope, I haven't watched the second season yet, I hope they continue to walk. But if anybody had reservations like myself who were like, I, do I really want to read about, I mean, do I really want to watch a show about the, because it's, it's kind of based on the Fox News. The Murdoch. The Murdochs. Do I want to watch something about the Murdochs? If you really are just like opposed to it, then no. But if you're a little interested like I was, I would say it's very enthralling. And if, when you get to the last episode of the season, Ugh, it's, okay. it, it's just like what is going to happen? And it, I think it's really well-made television, which I really watch television shows, but it just has been – I mean, you said you loved it. Pat loves it. I've heard from so many people. And usually that's what it takes to wear me down to the point where I'll actually watch something is when so many people say it's great that I would say I'm swooning about Succession season one. <laughs> I'm so far behind. I know. What I love about Succession is you think it's going to be the sort of show where it's like everyone is so – like a West Wing. Like everyone is so brilliant just showing off their brilliance all the time and you're like – Oh, when you start paying attention to what the characters say, you're like, oh, they are not bright people. Like, they don't deserve the power that they have. And I think it's such a subtle indictment of, um, like, inheritance that I really loved it. Nice. So good. So good. Aaron. What has you swooning this week? <laughs> I'm swooning about a TV show, too. Well, but I love TV, and I watch TV constantly. So, you know, it's, a, it's not as uh, unique for me. Pat will always tell me, because I'll mention a show, and Pat will be like, oh, Aaron watched all those. And I'll be like, Aaron watched all of... I can't remember what show it was, but I was like, nobody should watch all of this show, whatever it was. Now I want to know what it was, if it's true, if I really did watch all of it. It was something on Netflix, I think. I can't remember what it was. But it was, it was something that was... I don't think it's even that critically well liked i think it's just tv that's all i needed to be yeah yeah <laughs> but also he does say you ha- you'll have it on in the background sometimes you'll be doing other stuff and just have. It well i work from home three days a week which means that like i can watch more tv than the average person and also it's like either i'll be listening to podcasts or i'll have the tv on as like background so there's a lot like there's some things that i watch that i like active like succession i want to actively watch it i won't have that on the background but there are other shows like that I'll just sort of have on on the background or ones I've already watched or something. And it's also your writer, so it's research. It's not just oh, I, yeah. I, I watch everything. It's all everything. a tax write-off. Yeah. You're, just, you're <laughs> Netflix. You, you know you don't get paid by – you don't get like uh, charged by the show no? on Netflix. <laughs> don't tell the U.S. government. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> what is this? You're writing off $2,000 on Netflix shows? <laughs> what? Um. The show is not on Netflix. It's an Apple show. And it is. Is it the morning show? No way. It'll never, ever, ever be the morning show. That is awful. That's the opposite of a swoon. That's my next. That's my next episode swoon. All right. Well, we'll get into it then. (laughs) Um, This show is called Dickinson. And it's basically a historic. It's uh, Emily Dickinson, the poet from Massachusetts. I love a New Englander. Um, I stand a transcendentalist and I, it is told in a very modern way. And I think sometimes for people who have a bit of resistance to watching historical dramas or anything historical, it's like, it feels like you can't really relate to them because the, um, the social mores are very strange or the way they speak is hard to relate to. So what I really loved about this and what the um, showrunner did was she created it where they speak in like teen speak of today but not to a point where it's annoying but just to sort of like color the story they say like honest to blog and stuff god i don't know why i'm doing this with you in the room (laughs) because i'm the co-host they uh not to that but they're like oh this sucks or something like they say stuff like that which me which just makes it a little bit more relatable and like had emily lived now that is how she would have acted and i really appreciate that i think it's really interesting the way that it deals with um death as a character in the show which is really interesting emily dickinson was obsessed with death um 
And I just think it's really well done and really interesting and really beautiful to watch. And I think it is a really bold show and she really swung for the fences and I think she really made it. Um, So I would say definitely watch Dickinson. Nice. Also, John Mulaney is in as um, uh, not Walt Whitman, who Henry David Thoreau. Oh, love, love Mulaney. Yeah, he's great. All right. Awesome. Um, So Aaron. Yeah. Where can they find us? So you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. We're in our Facebook group, Learning the Tropes Troop. They already know what we're reading next month. So if you want to know, you're going to have to listen to next week's episode, which is our February preview episode. Um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. A bunch of you have written reviews recently, and we love them, and we read them. And thank you so much for taking the time. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and then finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast. Yes. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.